Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit FightRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dr. Shepard Siegel, and we'll be talking about his new book, Tricking Power into Performing Acts of Love, How Tricksters Through History Have Changed the World. The trickster, the oldest archetype known to humanity, is a semi-divine character who appears in every culture and enters the world in a pre-moral state. The trickster just wants to have fun. (laughs) Through episodes of tricking others and themselves, tricksters stumble into moral discovery. Tricking power into performing acts of love is filled with examples of the magic that comes with this malarkey and how it upends social orders and lifts the veil on the utopic world the Play Society. Dr. Uh, Shepard Siegel is a descendant of oil barons and bootleggers, grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area in the midst of that whole utopian 60s thing. He was a rock and jazz musician, then educator. His first teaching assignment was with youth in lockup in a juvenile detention center, the only unmellowed job in bucolic Santa Cruz, California. He earned his doctorate at UC Berkeley with studies in anthropology and special education, all the while implementing innovative internship programs for troubled and troubling youth, including those with disabilities. Siegel has more than 30 publications in education in the education field and has been recognized for achievements in education and writing. For more information, you can visit his website, which is shepherdsiegel.com. And that's Shepard, S-I-E-G-E-L dot com. Now, that, I'd like to welcome Dr. Siegel uh, to the show. Good day. Thanks for joining me. Good day. It's really a pleasure to be here, Robert. I'm really happy to have you here with me and to talk about tricksters. I, I have... I have never read an in-depth uh, view or, or presentation of tricksters, so I'm really looking forward to uh, educating our uh, my listeners. Um, but let's um, start with, first of all, um, the idea of a trickster archetype. You know, I mentioned it in the beginning, you know, that we that the trickster is an archetype, and, you know, we've heard a lot about lately about heroes and warriors and even magicians. Um, but the trickster is one that, I don't know, I just, I have not come across very often. So can you mind, would you mind telling us just a little bit more about that archetype and what prompted you to be interested in this particular energy? Sure. Let me, I'll, I'll conclude with my own personal interest, but let me begin by saying, you know, you know, as you mentioned, the warrior and the hero and the magician, and then there's the mother, there's the caretaker, there's the fool. Um, 
the sage, there are so many, and there's no real consensus on exactly what comprises all the archetypes. But, you know, we all have all of them in us, but some people have more of one than another. And the fact is, you know, we live in a really a warrior culture, whether we like to admit it or not. And, and you know, while, uh, you know, there's a lot of peace movements that were – uh, that are a source of, of pride and achievement and, and um, doing the right thing in our country. We, we've also had so many wars. And my only point there, Robert, is that if I said, well, I've just written a book about all the great generals going down through history and the, the wars they fought and the battles they've won, all your listeners would know exactly what I was talking about because our warrior is so present in our culture. And one thing about archetypes, of course, is you can't you can't kill them. You can't get rid of them. They're they're eternal. So I don't I don't have a problem with the warrior archetype. I have a problem when it's overemphasized to the point that we don't know others. So when I say I've written a book about tricksters, if you have an audience of of a hundred, I'd willing to say there's at least 120 different ideas floating around out there about what I mean by trickster. So tricksters, in in a word, they just want to have fun, like you said, and they're eternal. They're the oldest archetype known to humanity, and the oldest story known to humanity is the story of Wachankaga of the Winnebago tribe who lived kind of smack dab in the middle of, of what's today the United States. Um, and so I started doing a lot of research on tricksters and reading about them and realizing that every culture has one. I live in Seattle here in the Pacific Northwest. Our, the trickster god of the indigenous people here is the raven. And some of your listeners may be familiar with the story of the raven stealing the sun. Another Native American trickster god is the coyote. Um, in West Africa, he's known as Eshu, and Eshu also made the journey through the Middle Passage to this country and shows up in, and into, in the New World, shows up in Brazil and the Caribbean and the Delta region of the United States. That's Eshu or Eshu Alegba. Um, people are familiar kind of with the pop culture idea of voodoo and uh and, and, and Papa Legba, and it was a version of Eshu, Eshu Legba, you know, kind of animates a lot of what's known as Bodun or, or, or Voodoo. And even in Asia, um, I'll give you one more example, is uh, the Huli Jing, which is a female trickster uh, from China and a nine-tailed fox who uh, bewitches folks. So it, I'm so glad you asked the question you asked because – I want all your listeners to, I want us to have some, you know, a common idea. And so as I'm doing all these readings, I notice certain attributes that showed up in culture after culture and trickster gods who checked all the boxes. And before I delve into that, let me say uh, I left out one of the most important ones of all, and that's the great American trickster. Who's Bugs Bunny? Uh, <laughs> yeah. and well, I, of course, I just laughed. I mean, I think you know those who who, have, who know the cartoon well. I mean, what, when you just say Bugs Bunny, I mean that's just you know, 
I think that nails it for a lot of people as far as, you know, it's a shortcut, and I, I can go on about Bugs Bunny, but let me just say, <laughs> one of the early places in my research was in 1956, uh, an anthropological study called The Trickster by a gentleman named Paul Reed, Carl Jung himself wrote the introduction to that book. life 
where where you go for moral indeterminacy, where if you're honest with yourself, you don't you don't really know what your moral position is on a particular issue, but through experience, as you have you 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 experience moral discovery, and this is something I'm I'm real big on it because um, I don't have a lot of faith in doctrine, and while I think that political leaders have their value and spiritual religious leaders have their value, I generally favor moral discovery over the study of any particular doctrine, be it religious or, or political. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. Yeah, very much. And um, we, we just need more of that, that, that independent thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let me just say a couple more, and I'm not trying to be a smart, smart guy, but, or, but um, when you read a lot of these trickster tales, and um, they, they, I don't know how else to say it, Robert, they like fart jokes and poop jokes. And, um, <laughs> and, I, and when I kept coming into this, and one of the most uh, notable examples is the trickster from Bavaria. His name is Till Eulenspiegel. Actually, Richard Strauss wrote a very famous symphonic poem dedicated to Till Eulenspiegel, and the orchestra um, actually performs flatulence <laughs> during the symphonic poem. And it actually eventually made sense to me because when you were a little kid, I mean a really little kid, and you're learning your first jokes at ages three, four, five, I mean, you know, those kinds of jokes, the scatological, shall we call them, are just hilarious. Now, um, and, and tricksters also, they, they time travel, and they use tunnels, and so I combine those attributes. Uh, you know, Bugs Bunny uses tunnels a lot. In, in the book, Tricking Power, I write about the athlete Dennis Rodman, who, um, from all the NBA players, you know, he really had a lot of trickster qualities. Um, you know, tricksters don't have gender. They generally start out as male, but they switch gender. Everyone's heard of Loki, right? Marvel does movies about Loki. Loki's a trickster god. Well, when Loki needed a horse, he changed himself into a woman, and he gave birth to Slepidir, an eight-legged horse, which must have hurt like crazy. But, um, <laughs> but my point is that they gender switch when it, when it suits them. Dennis Rodman did that kind of thing. And when he was a kid, um, he lived in Texas, and he used to jump into the tunnels of the, of the, of the, the water system and he and his buddies would walk for miles so they could sneak into the state fair. And uh, that's one example of tricksters using tunnels. Another one is that they, they time travel. And I love using the example of the fool in Shakespeare's King Lear. Uh, the fool, uh, you know, there really was a King Lear. And somewhere in Act Three. Uh, the fool who has been speaking truth to power, which is what tricksters do. Um, they make mockery of power. And, and the fool, he's kind of had enough of King Lear because King Lear won't listen to him. And he says, see you later. When you see me again, it will be in the time of Merlin. 
and he disappears from the play. You don't see him again. Well, there actually was a King Lear, and he lived hundreds of years before the time of King Arthur and Merlin. So Shakespeare even is throwing time travel in there as a trickster attribute. But probably my famous example is that great masterpiece of American culture, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. (laughs) (laughs) If you you study the trickster, read my book, and look at these ten attributes. I think I've shared enough of them for now. Look at these ten attributes of the trickster, and then watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I don't know how deliberate the movie makers were, but somehow they they stumbled into an almost perfect portrayal of the trickster archetype in that silly but wonderful movie. Yeah, that that, that is really one. I mean, that's the one one thing I loved about your book was you were you were, you brought in not only historical um, characters, but also very those that are very. Um, prominent in, in pop culture and or, you know, kind of all recent culture. Um, so it, between those two, I think we can get a really good understanding, you know, of a trickster. Now, I have to tell you, when um, the one uh, attribute that you talked about, the, the fart and the poop um, but I picked up your book. The very first line in the book is, you can still fart with the dog. <laughs> yeah, boy. And I agonize over whether to include that or not. But but please go on. Well, I you know I, I you know just as an author, I kind of I mean you know one of the first things you do is like how does an author open the book? And you know that was yours. And I I mean I just chuckled. I thought there has got to be a reason for it. But anyway, it took me 22 pages. <laughs> but then there was when you listed the different attributes um, of it. And I think I mean I know you said you kind of were wondering whether to do it or not. It really does set the tone for the book. You know I think it really. <laughs> Well, well, that's the oddest compliment I've ever gotten, but I'll take it. And, um, you know, well, maybe it would be a spoiler for your readers, but I want you, I thank you for pointing out that 22 pages later, I actually bring that comment by, uh, Brian Posehn, right? And he, he's been in some sitcoms. I, I can't tell you which ones. I think he was in that sitcom. Uh, where the guy plays the mayor um, of the city, and 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 then but but he's also in a in a metal band, and he's this odd-looking fellow. He's he's large. He's, he wears glasses that are too small for him. He's very funny, and uh, somebody showed me this YouTube of his his heavy metal band playing, and he made that point, and then I read this folklore tale that. Made the same statement, but I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna spoil it for people who I hope will buy the book and read it. Yeah, that's that's good, yeah. No, 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 I think people, people can read it, but I just, I, you know, I think, um, I just wanted to point that out because, you know, I mean, first of all, again, it was, um, it was a surprise opening for me, you know, the idea, and, um, but you know, again, it, 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 I think it's disarming. You know, in the sense where you know, if you're 
you know, you're picking up a, a book, it's a tricking power into performing acts of love, you know, and then you, you know, then all of a sudden you get, you can still fart when you're dead, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> you're immediately inside, okay, I've got to read, you know, and find out exactly, you know, what, what this is all about. But, um, yeah. But anyway, that was one of those uh, attributes of, of the trickster. And, you know, um, the, the one, there was also the one that you uh, indicate that tricksters are liars and saviors. Um, that seems to be um kind of diametrically opposed in a way um so can you can you explain how they fulfill those roles yes thank you for that question and in, in terms of the modern day version of a trickster i point to these uh these guys out of new york called the yes men and their motto is we tell lies in order to reveal greater truths and that's a that's a really risky statement in today's political climate because uh, truth has become so dispensable, and there are people who tell lies to tell lies, and there are people who tell lies to reveal greater truths. So, for example, in the 1960s, in the height of the Vietnam War, John Lennon and Yoko Ono bought billboard space all over the world that said, the war is over. Well, the war wasn't over. They were lying. But they were trying to manifest a greater truth that, that this war, this terrible war in Vietnam, would end and would come to an end. And the yes men do similar things like that. They did it during the Iraq War. They, they put out a, a fake edition of the New York Times, distributed like 10,000 copies on the streets of New York, and they proclaimed that the minimum wage had gone up. They proclaimed that the war in Iraq had ended. Um, all kinds of lies, so to speak, but they were trying to stimulate a vision of a greater truth. But my favorite example is right on the cover of the book, and it's the, the raven tale from this part of the country where I live in the Pacific Northwest. Can I share the story? Yes, yes, please do, yes. That's great. So, so, and I say this with deference and respect to the Salish tribes. The raven appears as a trickster god as far south as northern California, all the way through the indigenous peoples of Oregon, of Washington, British Columbia, Alaska, across the Aleutian Islands to Siberia. You will find raven tails in all these tribes. This is the version told by the Tlingit. In the beginning, the world was dark. The world had no light, and there were ravens, and there were Indians. And the raven trickster god goes down to the river, and by the way, at this point in time, ravens, their feathers were white. Ravens were white. And the raven goes down to the river, and he sees the maiden daughter of the chief, and she's gathering water. The raven has an idea of a, a scheme. He turns himself into a little speck of dirt and jumps into the water, 
and the, the daughter of the chief takes the water from the river that has this speck of dirt in it, and she drinks it. When she drinks the water with the speck of dirt, she becomes pregnant. The raven impregnates her because he was that speck of dirt. And then she comes home, and she's pregnant, and she gives birth to this little baby boy. And the little baby boy, who's actually the raven, starts crying and crying and crying and won't stop crying. Now, why did the raven decide to do this, to deceive, to turning into a speck of dirt, impregnating, being born as a boy? Well, the maiden's father, the chief, was the keeper of the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he kept them in a gunny sack hanging on the wall. So the little baby's crying and crying and won't stop crying and keeps pointing to this gunny sack and, 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 and like, like he wants something from it. And the chief is complaining to his daughter, can't you get that baby to stop crying? And she, all she knows is he keeps pointing at the sack and she says, Father, just give him something out of the sack. Maybe that will make him stop crying. Well, the chief, these are the chief's prized possessions. Remember, the chief represents power. And the chief is holding on to power, and that power is depriving the earth of the sun, the moon, and the stars. But the chief relents just because the baby's driving him crazy. So he gives the stars to the baby. The baby throws the stars into the sky, and now there are stars in the world. And the baby stops crying for a little while. Then he starts crying again, even louder, even longer even more annoying. And we go through the same thing, and the, the, the daughter says, please, Father, please, just appease the baby, give him something. Well, the chief pulls the moon out of the sack and gives it to the baby, and the baby stops crying, releases the moon into the sky. Well, I think you know what happens next. After a while, the baby starts crying even louder and longer than before, and just won't stop. Well, the chief does not want to give up the sun. The sun is his absolute prized possession. It's that last thing that represents the kind of power that the chief has. But eventually, the chief relents. Well, here's what happens, though. When the chief gives the sun to the baby, the baby transforms back into his real state as a raven, a white raven. The chief is living. The chief is living because I've been tricked, right? What tricksters do, I've been tricked. And the, uh, in the spirit of Maglepus and Bugs Bunny, trickster goes, whoa, exit stage right, I better get out of here. And so the raven has to make a hasty escape and goes through the smoke hole in the lodge where the chief lived with his family. And that, and, and so when climbing out of the smoke hole, the raven turns black from all the ash, and that's why ravens are black. And then gets through the chimney and releases the sun into the world. And that's on the cover of the book. And that's why in this part of the country, when you see a totem pole or other indigenous art featuring the raven, almost always you see a little red circle in the raven's beak. And that's the raven healing the sun. 
And, of course, that allows the earth to thrive. And that is how the raven tricks power into performing an act of love. So it's a beautiful story, to me, a very meaningful one. It is. I mean, it carries with it all kinds of symbolism, um, from the, the light and the dark to the baby and the, the chief of power. I mean, there's there's just so much that you um, you can focus on. And, and let me ask story. you, because, yeah, because I, I don't have the... I don't have the ultimate answer to this question, but when power is expressed and is is hurting the world, is hurting other people, or hurting the environment, or, or hurting animals, um, how do you fight? Do you fight power with power, or do you fight power with tricks, or is there a third way? You know, it, you're, you're, that is a, a very good question. I mean, you know, because we, I think we've probably seen examples of each approach, you know, fighting power with power, fighting it with tricksters, or, you know, not, maybe even not fighting it at all and, you know, and, and incorporating it or even becoming one of the power holders or yielders of power, you know. Um, so, um, my, my thought is, personally, I would think that um, the trickster way would be more effective. Um, when you see, you know, power, what? I, I think effective, um, you know, as far as being able to um, disarm the powerful, you know, because Right. From what I see, those in power recognize power. So when they're confronted with power, they know how to deal with it because it's what they've been doing, you know. And, you know, as far as trying to counter, you know, their power, you know. So with the trickster, you know, like the chief, you know, who didn't know what, you know, he was, you know, giving away, um, he, you know, that, that trick, um, was able to, I guess, kind of sideline or go around um, a wall of power. So, my thought, and, and you know, and it's funny because when I started reading the book, um, I, you know, you mentioned that you know it's, uh, it's an archetype, and people have uh, or display the trickster, I'm going to say, energy. You know, in some do it more often or more blatantly or openly than others. I personally am not a trickster. Um, I just, um, I mean, I have. You know, I'm, I'm like everyone. I've had, had my moments, you know, of tricks. But right, I, right. I know someone who likes doing it regularly, who likes playing tricks regularly. And, um, and, and they're, you know, you know, fun and lighthearted, and it's meant to kind of lighten things up. But um, not being um, a trickster by nature, when I started reading, I, I, I've always looked at those um, people that are are more trickster as, I guess, more on that that liar side. You know, I'm mean, like, you know, you know, why trick them? You know what I mean? And um, and so, you know, my when I started reading the book, that's kind of what my belief was. Now, after reading the book, 
you know, there are so many um, quality, there are so many uh, results that can be achieved <laughs> through trickery uh, that um, what, what, what is, I think, most important, and I think you point out in your book, is that the, uh, it's not the intent of the trickster to harm, you know, someone, you know, through their trickery, but, um, but it's more of an innocent, you know, like that pre-moral, you know, that, that don't really have an opinion of good or bad necessarily, but again, want to have fun. So, you know, by the time I finished reading the book, I got to see that, that the, um, trickster energy, um, it's just more efficient sometimes in getting, you know, people to, number one, lighten up, you know, and number two, to point out those inconsistencies or those injustices that sometimes get clouded with power. Absolutely. That's, those are really great points. And, you know, because in, in non-Western cultures, the trickster is a god, the trickster is very powerful. But what happened in Western culture, because... Western civilization was so bent on building empires. And so if you're building empires, you're, you're, you're into power. Just like you said, you're fighting other powers with power. And you don't want some powerful god or, you know, an important god going around making a mockery of power. So what Western civilization did was they took the trickster and they stripped trickster of his power and that's how you get the court jester. And while people will think of the court jester as a trickster, and I'll go, yeah, the jester, court jester is a trickster, but he's had his wings clipped um, so that he's not a threat to power. He still gets to speak truth to power, but he doesn't have it. And the same thing happened with, uh, with Odin, really, in Norse mythology. Um, uh, where Loki, uh, Loki would always, uh, fall on hard times between Odin, Odin and, and, and Thor. And I think the other point I want to make, Robert, which you did such a nice job of setting me up, is that this lighthearted quality to it of, and, and so, you know, we live in difficult times. I don't think that's news to anybody. Um, and, and so there's a lot of folks who talk about, well, how do we still have joy? How do we still um, um, have happiness and so forth? And there's a lot of a lot of folks in our media talking about that, and it's it's good. It's good stuff. I like it, but it generally is framed as taking a break from the agonies and the miseries of of what power has done in the world, whether it's to the environment or to other people. And we go, well, here's a way that you can still have joy in your life. And that's important, and I support that people doing that. But what what intrigues me about the trickster is that you can engage with power and trick power and and stay very aware. And, in fact, you can be part of the solution to what power's done and still be lighthearted about it um, if you have just kind of the right attitude. <laughs> So I'm, I'm writing a new piece right now where I'm, I'm, I'm trying to enumerate some of the folks who do that. And the happy coincidence, you know, I live in Seattle, and just yesterday I went to an exhibit of the artwork of Banksy. 
and I, I hope folks have heard about Banksy. He's kind of this prankster graffiti artist, but his stuff mm-hmm. goes for millions of dollars. And uh, they put together this great exhibit of a lot of a lot of his artwork. He's British. Nobody knows exactly who he is. And uh, the exhibit is going on to D.C., but um, I'd really encourage your listeners to uh, just, you know, Google uh, Banksy and see what comes up. It's just uh, really fun stuff, lighthearted, but it engages with some of the difficult things that we, we encounter in today's world. Yeah. Well, you know, Shep, we're about half, a little more than halfway through the show, so I'm going to take just a quick 90-second break. Um, and when we come back, uh, you, you devote a, a section in your book. Um, the, the title of it is um, A Million million Years of 50 to Women. <laughs> so right. when we come back from the book, I want to talk about that feminine aspect, okay? Okay. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello. This is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide. Books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again. And today, my special guest is Dr. Shepard Siegel, and we're talking about his new book, Tricking Power into Performing Acts of Love, How Tricksters Throughout History, or Through History, Have Changed the World. And again, you can find out more about Dr. Siegel's work by visiting his website, which is shepardsiegel.com, and that's shepard, S-I-E-G-E-L.com. Okay, with that, we're back. Shep? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in fact, okay. when you're looking for that website, Shepherd is spelled kind of like the occupation, uh, S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. When in doubt, use an E. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Like yeah, a shepherd and a sheep. <laughs> right, absolutely. S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D-S-I-E-G-E-L.com. So, and I'm sure if they just type, they just Google your name, you're going to pop up right there and Google search. I'm sure. <laughs> so, so um, now we talked about you know how 
that there's an archetype so that a human cannot literally be a trickster, though they can exhibit trickster behaviors. Um, now, but in, in your book, and, and earlier in the show, you mentioned, you know, they may start off as male, but can change sex. And you gave us that one example of the, you know, eight-legged horse bearing spits, <laughs> uh, that, with a Loki said, that made that. But why, let's just talk about the, you know, you, you included a, a particular section about women. So, Give us the um, the idea of like what may be our similar characteristics between men tricksters and women tricksters, or, or, or where are they different? Right. You know, it, it was um, it's really what launched this book was um, you know this is a companion to an earlier book called Disruptive Play. And in Disruptive Play, which came out in 2018, so it's still fresh, and it's a, the books are not in sequence. You can read them in either order. And, but, but Disruptive Play was about a lot of my heroes that I, that I was attracted to as a teenager. So I don't make any apologies for it, but they were because of the climate and, of what, and the culture that I lived in back then. You know, they were generally white males. It was um, Andy Kaufman. It was um, the people like the Marx Brothers. It was Marcel Duchamp from France and also Alfred Jarry uh, from France. And these were the the trickster types who inspired me. So when I was touring behind Disruptive Play, I loved getting in conversation with people and so any of your listeners who go to my website, of course, you can buy the book through the website. It will direct you to various bookstores. But I, there's also an opportunity to connect with me and send me an email, and I would love to hear from your listeners. I love getting into conversation with folks. So as I'm touring this previous book, the converse, part of the conversation was, where are the women? Now, you could answer it by saying tricksters don't really have gender, but but that's it's unfair to just leave it at that, because the stories were told in human culture, and human culture has historically been male dominated. So stories of female tricksters kind of get buried, and that was some of the more difficult research that I had to do to find female tricksters. It was easy to find male tricksters who would become female. I already talked about Loki doing that. Wachtun Kaga did the same thing because tricksters, they love food and they love sex. And um, Wachtun Kaga changed into a woman so that she, he became a she, and could move in with the chief because the chief had the best food. And she even goes and she bears children for him, and all because really liked the food there. They had the best food. And it also had that cartoon ending where the ruse was discovered by the chief, <laughs> and, and, and watching Kaga had to scram out of there real fast, which happens a few times because he kept playing tricks on people. But, in fact, I was able to find examples of female tricksters. So starting with the capital T, I already talked about the Huli Jing, 
uh, from China. There's an updated story related to the Huli Jing, um, which is in a David Fincher-produced animation series. I think it's called Love, Death, and Robots, or Love, Sex, and Robots. I forget. It's on Netflix. And uh, they, they, um, they do a wonderful episode that's an update of the idea of the Huli Jing, and it takes place in Hong Kong when the Brits uh, colonized it. Um, I also found a folktale called The Pirate Princess of Yemen. Um, and the more I, I – and that story is, is retold, and she's um, – the Pirate Princess was a very popular uh, – in a bunch of cultures. You know, this one started in Yemen, but it uh, migrated throughout to Eastern Europe. And um, – there are some news stories coming out about pirate princesses, and of course they disguise themselves as men, so you get the gender switching thing. <coughs> and the the revelation to me, Robert, was that I always put the trickster out as saying, you know, you really need the tricksters to call power to account, to speak truth to power, to mock power, but you really don't want to elect a trickster as your leader. However, once I started doing research on female tricksters, I went, you know, especially in the Pirate Princess of Yemen story, she ends up proving to be someone who's capable of governing fairly and justly. Mm -hmm. There's also a female trickster from Sumeria, and her, she's the daughter of a king, and the king is very selfish. Uh, does not exercise uh, his power fairly, is greedy, and takes power for himself. And she um, takes over the government for her father, and she creates a very democratic um, uh, 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 state, you know, in Sumeria. And once again, a female trickster who proves herself quite capable of governing. So it's, it's, it's made my, my quest to understand the trickster all the more interesting. Now, let me talk about some lowercase t tricksters. You've got um, one of my favorites is Mae West. And even though uh, there's a whole section of the book devoted to female tricksters, uh, Mae West pops up all over the place in the book. She's, she shows up in about three different places in the book because I think she's such a wonderful example. I also dedicate that entire chapter to Yoko Ono, who once you, um, and, and, you know, once you separate Yoko from her very famous husband, what was his name again? <laughs> in some rock and roll band. Yeah. yeah. And, and once, <laughs> yeah. Once you separate her from from the, the trappings of being married to a Beatle, um, to John Lennon, um, and, and you look at her as the avant-garde artist that she was, and, and they had a beautiful they had a beautiful marriage. I'm not I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying that the um, all the brouhaha around her being married to John obscures what was really going on with her as an artist. And she has a beautiful, wonderful trickster uh, qualities to her. I can just share one. So, you know, you know, what is the difference between the playfulness of the trickster 
and the playfulness of games is that games are competitive and they have winners and losers. And I love games. That's cultural play. It's wonderful. I'm a sports fan. It's, and, and, and games are fun to play and they're fun to watch. But, of course, when competition and the need to win gets out of control, you have the worst possible game in the world, which is war, you know. And, and we never want competitive play to get that far. So what is an iconic, almost an archetypal example of a competitive game, the, the, you know, the ultimate board game, is chess, right? So Yoko Ono has this piece where it's chess pieces facing each other, like you set up chess pieces for a game, but all the pieces are painted white. <laughs> There's no white and black. It's white and white. So you can't play the game without getting confused. So she's, she's making fun of it. She's making fun of competition. And she creates this beautiful little piece of art that says, yeah, let's be playful and let's be a little bit less competitive about it. Let's look at the part of it that's fun, not the part of it that's just about winning. Yeah. yeah you know, and that, I enjoyed that section in your book where you talk about play, you know, and you break it down to uh, original play, cultural play, disruptive play, you know, and in the original play of, like, lion rough and tumble you know, with each other, you know, that, yes. you know, people can easily imagine that. And then, of course, like you just mentioned, you know, when you enter into, the, you know, an area of games and winners and losers and competition, um, that's uh, cultural play. Now, is are, are there different cultures who exhibit more trickster um, predisposition to trickster more than others, or is it more just, you know, individualized, you know, into, into a person or, you know, or, um, you know, just some kind of um, object? Well, sure. <laughs> you asked me a question that I wish I knew the answer to. Uh, okay. I, <laughs> I undoubtedly believe that there there are cultures that are that are more uh, playful um, and, um, and and so forth. I used to wonder as a child was you know you know you can grow up in a culture where the the men who are the strongest the brutes they're they're the, the and the warriors they're the ones that rule and then you can go through a period of history where it's for lack of a better term the nerds who know how to do computer programming who end up running huge corporations like Facebook and Microsoft and Google you know and Amazon because they're so good with numbers and the logic of programming and so forth that combined with marketing and all that so they become the most powerful people in society and so forth and I used to even wonder as a kid well what if the hierarchy of society was based on who the best musicians were what if the best musicians were the people who got to run the world you know and I was always fascinated with um, tribal cultures in Africa and, and where, where, you know, to be the master musician, and certainly we reward great musicians in our culture, but, you know, the, mm -hmm. but, but that was the thing, you know, in, in certain tribal cultures where the, the great musician is, is the top of the heap. And, of course, 
I don't, you know, but, but, but I don't really know the answer to your question. Thank you for telling me what my next book is going to be about. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do, I do have an, a bit of an answer for you because, you know, I'm sharing stories with you and your listeners because, it, it, you know, we communicate these trickster ideas by telling the stories of people and, and gods who created. But I want people to know that my intention is not to not to set the table for the next great trickster, you know. Um, my my intention is to set the table for a trickster consciousness in society that that the force would be strong with more people. I mean, if, if you look at the warrior aspect of our culture now, that, that people wear military camo as a, as a as a fashion statement, and and as I'm noticing the marine style of haircut everywhere, and you turn on the TV and. Even though I think there's been wonderful evolutions in film and TV, you still see a lot of stuff where it's this battle between good and evil, and I do mean battle, you know, where people mm -hmm. are still attracted to that action film. This is my quarrel with Marvel, where they, they kind of get Loki, but they don't really get Loki, because Hollywood is too hard for Hollywood to separate itself from a, a movie that has to be based on conflict and has to be based on a good versus evil uh, battle. And in a, and so I'm hoping that in our society, in this country, we can, we can start to have a greater trickster consciousness and have things that are just fun. Um, mm -hmm. And that fun can be interesting and it doesn't have to have winners and losers. I will tell you, there's a it's a rather bracing show, and you might recall reading about it on HBO, where uh, it's called uh, "I May Destroy You," and um, it's about immigrants from West Africa who are living in London, and they're young people in their 20s and 30s, and they're living the fast life in London, and it's. It's fascinating. It's bracing. It's a little bit scary to watch because it's it's untethered from our familiar notions of good and evil, and and what conflict is about. And I, I won't say more except that I think it's absolutely brilliant. And the point is, there's not really a specific trickster character in there, although the woman who wrote it and stars in it is is fascinating, Michaela Coel since we're talking about the female trickster, right? But what's mm -hmm. interesting about the TV show is it's an example of a trickster consciousness where this whole community of people is going through the trickster episode of wandering in a morally indeterminate wilderness. And you, as you watch it, you really don't know, are they going to come out the other end with moral discovery? And so, yeah. It, 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 I don't know if you remember reading about it, but it resonated so strongly with me as kind of, in, in the art world, the next stage. Wow. I'm going to have to check it out. <laughs> After, yeah. after it's on HBO. It's from, from no. just a couple years ago. I May Destroy You, it's called. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look at that. Uh, gosh, we're down to the last five minutes here. This hour has just flown by. Um, but I, I do want to um, – one, one of the things you talk about, you know, I mean, you just mentioned play, fun. And, and 
Um, you know, one of the things you suggest is that we move toward a play society. Um, you know, I, I, it just seems, you know, that play and fun have a bad rap. <laughs> I mean, and it, it, it seems like, you know, that it's, um, I don't know. So, I, you know, life is so serious so, so many, you know, so much of the time that it just seems that, uh, we really need to elevate that to a higher understanding. And now, after having read your book, you know, when it comes to being maybe the the brunt of a trick, you know, I'll, I'll have a much better um, appreciation of what Nidhi was trying to show me. Um, but, you know, but I think isn't the idea of someone doing a trick and and dumping or stopping an individual, isn't that part of the – the purpose of a trick to stop an individual no no yeah. to 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 have them to have a kind of you know take take pause you know and yes. maybe look, oh, yes. I mean, rather than or my 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 initial response would usually be offense taking offense you know when someone trying to check on me you know but but um rather than you know what is it maybe funny about myself or, you know, our situation that I'm not seeing. Yeah. Um, I see this. Um, uh, you know, I, I'll confess to my own uh, attraction to the trickster force and, and, and having experienced that if you, if you speak truth to power and possibly through a trick or just through humor. I mean, comedian, you know, the good comedians do a wonderful job of revealing the truth. And isn't a joke a lie? You know, a joke is I get you to believe something, and then when I get to the punchline, you go, oh, oh, that whole setup wasn't really true. The punchline is the truth, and now I'm laughing because I'm seeing the, the distance between, between the lie and the two, the truth, and it's funny. But when you confront, and, and the reason comedians do it from the stage is because that's a safe place to do it, and the reward is laughter. But if you do it with someone who's in power, um, because humor is part of it, the easiest thing for power to do is to just dismiss it and not engage with it. That that shouldn't discourage the trickster, but mm-hmm. but it is discouraging. <laughs> Um, is that answering your question, or do you want me? Do you want to ask it no, again? No. Because I. No, 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 yeah. no. It does. I mean, you know, the 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 idea was um, the just the idea of you know, a useful purpose for a trick, and mm-hmm. and that um, it's 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 done in a way that is. Um, innocent, you know, or you know, maybe even naive, naivety involved in it. That you know, it, it was uh, express express um, result not hurting someone. Then you know, then I think it just elevates it to the idea of, of being a fun thing to do. And you know, I think we need to incorporate more of that <laughs> in the world. Yeah, and, and and you started out by saying, you know, aren't some people going to be actually offended? Um, that these times are so serious. How can you be joking around when the problems we face are so bad? But, you know, 
you know, sometimes the, the, the more serious the situation, the more important it is to laugh. You know, a book that influenced me early, I'll bet you're familiar with it, is Victor, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaningfulness, who survived a concentration camp in the Holocaust. You know, it's hard to imagine a worse daily life than being in prison, Jews, but also gay people, gypsies, all kinds of people were in, in the concentration camp, mainly Jews. Um, it's hard to imagine a worse, more serious, horrifying, horrifying situation. Yet what we learned from Viktor Frankl's book is the people who survived, the people who made it through the Holocaust, who actually did not starve to death and did not did not die in the concentration camps, were the ones who retained their sense of humor. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot of value in that story. Absolutely. Well, Shep, we are at the end of the show. Um, I want to thank you for your time today. I, I truly enjoyed your book, and this, it's one of those that has shifted my perception, my perspective of, of tricksters. And now, you know, I won't be able to um, watch the show without uh, looking for that particular um, behavior. Um, of course, Bugs Bunny uh -huh. will be the will be the immediate. <laughs> media uh, reference and all that. But anyway, I really want to thank you for your time today. Thank you. You're, uh, great questions. Really fun talking to you. Bring back Bugs Bunny cartoons before the movie um, when you go out to the theater. And um, since you're bringing inspiration to the earth, I do wonder from whence you bring it, so perhaps from somewhere else in the galaxy. Uh, you know, it, it, whatever comes in, I said, you know, it's just um, my thought is, is that, you know, for, for me, um, being inspired and inspiring others to me is like the ultimate in connectedness, you know, purpose, you know, yes. is um, yes. to allow myself to be inspired yes. and to inspire others. So, well, thank you where it comes from, it doesn't matter. Well, thank you. Thank you, Chef. I appreciate it. And now, um, I do want to let people know that you are on social media, and uh, if they go to your website, they can connect to you uh, at uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And I think I've connected with you on all of those, but um, if not, I'll be sure to do that by the end of the show, or right after the show. And look forward to following your journey and seeing what that next book is going to be like. All right. Thank you, my friend. You're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Dr. Shepard Siegel. We've been talking about his new book, Tricking Power into Performing Acts of Love, How Tricksters Through History Have Changed the World. And, again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is shepardsiegel.com, and that's S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D-S-I-E-G-E-L.com. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. 
Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.